0: Well, a very good morning to you. So glad you can be with us for our first Advent service. It it just seems wrong, doesn't it, that the year is flying along at the pace it is. I know many of us are still scratching our heads. Well, how, how did this happen, this thing called December? How did this happen? In theory, we know how calendars roll over from one month to another, but... I don't know. Does it just seem a bit early this year? Um, anyway, our lives are very full and very busy, and I'm I'm so blessed and grateful that you could be with us this morning and trusting that this Advent and the services and the themes that we have planned will bless your heart and, and help you to ensure that whatever else is happening in, in your life that... Um, this Advent is definitely filled with, with Jesus. John Grisham, one of my favourite authors, actually, outside of the Bible, um, he uh, wrote, uh, tends to write crime, thrillers, so forth, but um, wrote a funny little book, I guess just something had been buzzing around his head, called Skipping Christmas. And it was the story of the cranks, a uh, cranks, a couple of empty nesters whose only child had sort of left for an overseas trip. And, and basically a little bit like we are at the moment come Advent, as they, they looked at the commercialism around, as they, as they kind of did a bit of a budget to kind of work out what Christmas is ultimately going to cost them. And when they added it all up, Mr. Crank realized that for the same price that it would cost them, to get all the way through Christmas, they could actually have a luxury cruise in the Caribbean. And given, frankly, that their their eldest daughter had, had left the nest and headed overseas, they thought, why not? Why not? Let's skip Christmas. And it might feel a little bit like a, well, a a tempting thing to do for, for many of us around this time of the year. It, it's not that we don't like many aspects of Christmas. It's, it's not like we don't enjoy some of those old songs again and, and with great anticipation, we decorate the house and look forward perhaps to hosting family and so forth. There's much to like, but in the midst of it all, it can just get very, very busy. Have you ever thought about skipping Christmas? And spiritually speaking, has it ever occurred to you that sometimes the message of Christmas itself actually feels kind of far away? I guess the whole point of Advent is to prepare our hearts and to anticipate the one who came in flesh and the one who is coming again in spirit. But sometimes the message of Christmas itself, the the Gospel, the good news, the simple message that Jesus Christ brings light and hope into our darkness. Sometimes that can feel far away from us as well. We're unsure, spiritually speaking, does Father God have anything under the tree for us this Christmas? We know that Scripture talks about all sorts of spiritual blessings that are a part of our inheritance in Christ Jesus, surely there's got to be always something under the tree for us. But this year, is there that one thing that we really, really long for in that deep part within each of us? Do you ever feel as you approach Christmas, this is great, it's an awesome message, it's going to bless someone, just not me? Maybe. Maybe. You're in that group of people, yes, even a part of God's family, that can easily feel a little bit like, I don't see anything under the tree that has my name on it. I don't see anything there that might be for me. I wonder if I've been forgotten. Not sure why, Trust God, I believe he loves me, I believe he's my heavenly father, I I believe he has only good in store for me. But here we go again, another year, and that one thing, that one blessing, that one thing that I really, really want from God my father, I I, I don't think it's under the tree again. So we find ourselves waiting. And that waiting can be be very, very difficult. I'm going to open up the book of Matthew, because the birth narrative in the book of Mark is pretty short. And so so we're going to turn to Matthew, and if you have your Bibles with us, open with me to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to just spend a little bit of time in one of the more riveting parts of Scripture, the genealogy. I know you've read them many, many times, and you skim through the names looking for something that's going to trigger a thought and so forth. Let's see if God doesn't have something for us here, maybe even a little bit of a surprise, something under the tree for each and every one of us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of, and and so it goes, and so it goes. We won't read all of that, but let's skip down to verse 6, where all of a sudden we come to King David, and Jesse the father of King David. Now, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and, and, and so on and so on, and more names, and then we get to verse 12. And interestingly here, in the genealogy, Matthew inserts the exile. Joseph, sorry, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of, and so on and so on, and lots, lots more names. And then finally, verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. There's the, gene- the genealogy in Matthew, punctuated with three important periods Abraham, David, and the exile. And in this genealogy, there are 14 generations in between Abraham to David, David to the exile and exile from the exile, ultimately to the, the Messiah. 14 generations, 14 generations of people waiting from Abraham, waiting, 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 waiting. I could do that 14 times to David, 14 generations from David, waiting, 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 waiting. And then the exile. Not a surprise, well prophesied. There would be punishment for Israel's waywardness, but a promise that they would be delivered. Waiting, 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 waiting until the Messiah Waiting seems to be very much a part of, yes, the Christian life and and a part of the story of all of God's people. Waiting. We all have to do it. And there are different types of waitings. Indeed, in society today, we even create rooms for it. Waiting rooms. Sometimes lounges. And they can be different. You can have a waiting room in in an airport. As you look around... There can be different sort of, I guess, attitudes. Bored businessmen, excited relatives because they're going to to see loved ones, or perhaps those in mourning because this trip holds for them a lot of sadness. We have waiting rooms in courts, relatives and defendants. In victims, waiting in a court for justice to be done. Waiting. Of course, we have waiting rooms in hospitals. And depending what part of the hospital that you're waiting in, you could be waiting in the cancer ward. What news is there for me or my loved one? Or perhaps the maternity ward. Waiting with great anticipation. Because new life. Is about to be welcomed we all have to wait God's people aren't spared waiting and there's all sorts of waiting we wait for little things and we wait for big things we wait in the drive-through at McDonald's wondering if maybe a miracle might be performed on your meal and then we wait for those big things in life don't we prayers Because for most of us, in our heart of hearts, there is a place that that not everybody can go. There is a place in our heart that we will allow strangers to a degree. There's a place in our heart where we invite friends. There's a place in our heart where we might invite family. There's a place in our heart where we'll invite just, just the very closest person to us. There's a place in our heart that only we go And in that place, I don't know how much of a journaler you are, but maybe you have a little leather-bound journal. It's very, very precious to you. And in that place are different prayers, things that you're waiting for. If you flicked open the first few pages, it might actually be a well-written, well-articulated prayer because you know exactly what it is that you're waiting for. Go over a few pages more and it gets harder. This one is so deep within you that you even find it difficult to put words to it. Maybe there's just one word written on that page. Flick a few more pages over. And there's a prayer. There's something you're waiting for. And you didn't even have a word for it. You just started out writing and it ends up being a, oh, just a groan. I don't even know what to write. I don't even know what to say. But God, you know, and you're already praying with groans that I can't even comprehend. You know what the prayer is. You know what I'm waiting for. Please, Jesus, please. Come, thou long awaited, come. We all have things that we are waiting for. For the Christian, waiting is always characterized by hope. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, the word for hope and the word for wait actually share the same root word. They actually come from the same same root. Interestingly, the the same is is true, I believe, in Spanish. But in Hebrew, the word hope and the word wait are actually quite close together. They share the same root. Literally, waiting means to trust or to hope. It means to weave strands or tie strands of a rope together to make it strong, and it... And it has has that sense that hope is the strength that enables you to wait. The thickest rope I've ever seen was one of our mooring lines when our family was serving on the MV Doulas overseas for a number of years. Back in, oh, I guess it was probably around 2002. We would have been in Japan when there was a typhoon and... Generally speaking, in the harbour, ships are sent out. But our engine was broken and we weren't able to go out of the harbour and so we were just tied up alongside the quayside by these mooring, lo- mooring ropes as the, as the typhoon swept in. But these were strong mooring ropes and the guys had the ship tied down pretty firm and, and as the storm grew and the winds were getting to the point where it wasn't even safe to go outside anymore basically those ropes held us there we were actually floating but the promise was this we would be safe as if we were actually on shore the ropes were our our hope And hope is like that. It's the rope that holds us between a promise from God and its fulfillment. The Christian life is filled, absolutely filled, with promises from God. And the Christian life is filled, absolutely filled, with God's people waiting for the fulfillment of those promises. And what holds the people of God? between a promise and its fulfillment? Hope, hope. Hope is the posture of waiting for the Christian. It's how we wait. Hope is the rope that holds us between a promise from God and his fulfillment. It's how we are instructed to wait, without hope. Waiting is a dull submission to fate. Or perhaps an inflated yet empty sense of self. With hope, waiting is something that actually pleases the very heart of God. And hope always sits between a promise from God and its fulfillment. Um, hope is, is a little bit like, yes, like a pregnancy. There is the conception and there will be the birth. And hope is that, that rope holding us in between that, that anticipates the birth. Hope is, is, is like a flight where there will be a departure and an arrival. Hope is that, that rope in between that, that holds you firm in your seat and helps you anticipate that landing, that you will get to where it is that you are going. Matthew mentions for us many, many people in this genealogy, all of whom waited, all of whom hoped. Abraham was one of the first that he mentions. From the the time that God promises through an angelic visitation that Abraham is going to be the father of a nation to the time where he just has his first son, Isaac, 25 years Imagine, 25 years, you hold on to the promise that I will be the father of a nation so vast that, well, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. More people will call you father than, the, than there are stars in the sky. 25 years of waiting between the promise of God and its fulfillment. David anointed by Samuel to be the next king. Sometimes, as we read through 1 Samuel, it feels like things are speedy, things is a good, there's a crack and pace here. You know, this is happening. No? Now, it's estimated it was somewhere between 25 to maybe even 35 years of waiting until David was anointed king of Israel. And in that time, he had to flee like a refugee and take harbor amongst the enemies of, of Israel. And then there was the exile a certain punishment, an exile to Babylon, and God's God's people would lose it all. The wars broken down. The temple burnt, absolutely plundered. All of the splendor of Jerusalem and Zion gone. And then the people spread to the point that any resemblance to a nation was unrecognizable. Seventy years until there was a deliverance and there was freedom. But in each case, Abraham, David, and even the people of God, it wasn't just waiting as if they were adrift in the ocean with absolutely no certainty whatsoever. We read, actually, in In Romans chapter 4, of Abraham's hope, verse 18, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be, without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Against all hope, Abraham in hope waited. He waited. David likewise, the people of God likewise, Hope is best described as an expectant waiting. It's a hopeful anticipation. It's the rope that holds us between a promise from God and its fulfillment. But how does it work? How does it work? How does it work for those of you who do have, in that very, very precious place within your heart, something that you are holding out for, something perhaps not even spoken, something so precious and so fragile that it feels almost too much to mention, something that you would like to find an answer and a resolve to under the tree this year as a spiritual blessing. How? How do you hold out in hope for that? How does that look? And we keep reading on here in our passage. 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And then Matthew, with no further delay, jumps in to the resolution. Here is the Messiah. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. How do we wait as the people of God? How do we give expression to hope? How do we hang on to that rope which is our hope and stands between a promise from God and the fulfillment? How do we do that? We recognize that God himself is our hope. God is the rope. We think in terms of having a hold of the rope. God thinks in terms of having a hold of us. God is the rope that holds us. God actually is our hope, and he is not far from us, not far from any of us. So we rightly call him Emmanuel, as prophesied, God with us. Hope means that God is with us in the waiting. Many, many years ago, um I was asked to speak at a conference in Germany. It was um, basically missionaries from all around the world. If you were under the age of 30, this was your conference. And there was a number of speakers. And I was a little bit torn speaking at the conference, to be quite honest. Um, We were on the move as a family, and I kind of felt as a father just torn. I wanted to be with the family on the one hand, on the other hand, there were some connections at the conference, and it was a privilege to speak there. So, so I went, and I was one of a number of speakers. And it was packed out, and it was, a, it was an age group and a, just a generation of young missionaries that, that I just loved connecting with. And, and when I got there, I guess I started to feel back a little bit of the excitement of being there and, and was starting to sense that God had a, an actual purpose for my for my actually speaking and being there and anyway, when I, I I was asked you know if I could hand in the script of what it was that I would be saying I, I sort of said I've, I I don't think I've ever written out an entire message maybe maybe once or twice or but I'm sorry I, I just I don't have a script and I said, oh everybody has to submit you know the text of what they what it is that they're speaking on I said right what's plan B? And the guy looked at me and he said, you don't have anything. I said, nothing that's going to make sense to you. He said, ah, well, maybe just give it to me in a nutshell. So I, so I did. I said, well, you know, I'd be opening this. And, and, and how long would you be going for? And I said, well, how long have I got? He said, 20 minutes. Actually, it's really about 19 minutes and 40 because, and he brings out this spreadsheet with every second of time accounted for the conference was in Germany. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. But as I went through it, I thought, this is incredible. When, when does the Lord return? And I, I fleet that wasn't in the detail. But I had my 20 minutes, and before I went up to speak, um, the organizer again came up to me, and I don't know, maybe somebody had whispered in his ear something about me, something malicious and untrue, like I might not be so concerned about time. And uh, so he came back up to me and he checked again. I said, Stuart, I just want to check. You're good for time, right? Oh, yeah. He said, As in, you understand how much time you have. I said, It's all there. And he said, So you, and, and we're all good. You, that script you get? Absolutely. He said, Great. Some years ago, it doesn't happen so much now, when God wanted me to leave my script, he had to get my attention. And I've spoken to different preachers and speakers all over the world, and, and it seems that it can be common that when the Spirit of God is trying to get their attention, there can be some sort of physical sensation. Now you can have all sorts of physical sensations, and it's interesting that, you know um, some people I, I actually actually know um, one friend of mine would just start crying uncontrollably. Um, but not because there was anything sad that he was saying. He'd just start crying. And he knew as soon as he started crying, okay, God's got my attention. I've got to, what is it, Holy Spirit? What do you want me to say? Um, another friend of, friend of mine would, would just get very, very nauseous and would feel something internal. Well, back in the day when God wanted to get my attention, as he still does now, but I was very, very new to this and I, I perhaps needed some sort of a physical sign, I'd just get a really shaky leg. It, was just, it would just, just start shaking. And, um, you know, whenever I got a shaky leg, I, you know, I, I brushed it off the first few times thinking that was odd and then started to make some connections. And somebody actually said to me, Stuart, do you think that could be God getting your attention? So anyway, at this conference with 19 minutes and 50 seconds or something and in a, in a very, very, you know, even if it wasn't scripted, fairly tight parameters, I stand up to speak and my leg starts shaking. And I think, oh, no, 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 not this one, Lord, not this one. This was the one, this is, this won't go down well. And I was thinking, please, no, please, no. But it just got worse and worse and worse. And it was, I was thinking, everybody will be just watching this leg sort of uncontrollably show, what is wrong with that guy? Like, Anyway, I sort of, okay, Lord, what is it? And as I want you to share the dream from last night oh, but Lord, I think that was a dream that you gave me just to give me a, an empathy with people. It's not here to tell. I don't tell the dream. It was just, you gave me a dream and it was, was for me, it was for others, and it helps me empathise with people in a difficult spot, right? Shaking, shaking, shaking. Oh, Lord. So I left the script. And I thought, well, if it's a choice of obeying God, or man, the choice is clear. And I started to tell about the dream. And In the dream, and I can't remember if it was a literal nocturnal dream, to be quite honest, or just a, in those waking moments, just a picture that became more and more, became conscious of it. I just don't recall, but I remember the dream very clearly. And, it, and then I started to, to tell people about it. And as I looked at this crowd of, of young emerging leaders within the mission, hundreds of them, I just said, I believe that God has a word for some or many of you today. You're waiting. You're waiting on God. You believe you've had a promise from God, but you have not seen its fulfillment. And you're getting weary in the waiting. Some of you are wondering if you have misheard and you're about to to give up. Maybe it wasn't a promise from God, and others of you believe it's a promise from God, but just the waiting is tearing you apart, and you can't wait any longer. It's like, and this was the picture, it's like you have a promise from God, and you're going out to meet God. He's going to pick you up, like in a bus, and you're going to hop on that bus, and you and God, you're going to take off, you riding shotgun, God and you heading out to take hold of this promise and its fulfillment. And you've headed out to the bus stop. It's on a busy city street, and it's just you at first. And a bus comes along, and you look at the number, and you look at the driver, and you think, no, that's not God. And so the bus stops, a few people get off. Somebody runs past you and jumps on. You wonder if you should get on this one or not. Yes, no, yes, no. Off it goes. No, that wasn't God. And then another bus comes along and you look and, ah, wrong number. That's not God either. That one just doesn't seem to be for you. Again, people pour off. A few people hop on and off it goes. Another bus comes. You look and, again, this is not God. This is not God coming through on his promise. And then something else happens. There's a group of people around you. You're all waiting for something, for God, for a bus, and, and people pour off, and a few people hop on this particular bus, but then it starts to rain a little bit, and with the rain, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of people decide, change your plans. I'm hopping on this bus, and they all start to pour on the bus. And you're wondering, well, should I as well? I mean, other people all of a sudden change their plans, but this wasn't what they were expecting. But... They seem to think, this is the one, I'm change of plan, I'm gonna jump on this one now. And you look at it again and you look at the driver and and this is your moment. Will I, won't I, will I agonizingly no, I'm gonna stand my ground, off it goes, I've missed it again. Should I have taken that? Just looking at it in the distance and the waits seem to get longer and longer between the buses. Now the rain is getting heavier and and a bus comes and umbrellas come out and you don't have one because, well, I was just heading out to meet with God and to catch that bus and to head off into his promise and its fulfillment. Another bus comes and people are pouring on now and nobody wants to be left standing on the pavement. You're the only one waiting. You're the only one standing their ground. What is wrong with me, you ask? Why am I so fussy? Am I too particular? Have I missed this? Have I made this up in my head? Should I have got on? What about, what about two, three buses ago? That looked like a nice one. This one also departs and suddenly you find yourself, now it's pouring with rain and there is no one else. And you can't help but stand there thinking, I don't know what's going on here. But I think I've missed my bus. It was one of those ones. I don't know which one. I'm just thoroughly confused. And now I don't even know if there's going to be another bus. It's a very lonely place to be. And yet many of God's people have stood in that place. As it pours down with rain, as you feel so alone, perhaps forgotten, bewildered, confused. What is wrong here? And it's in that moment that you can become aware that hope means you don't wait alone. And as I pictured that little scene, I realised there wasn't This person just standing by themselves. there was another presence there. There was somebody else in, in that picture as well. God was with them in the waiting, just standing behind them, just to the side a little bit. But it's in the waiting that we can sometimes, like never before, become aware of the presence of God, that indeed... He is Emmanuel, God with us, that God himself is our hope, and that hope means that God is with us, even in the waiting. And as I finished up at this conference, I finally had my legs stop shaking, and I sensed that okay, I think we're good here. I've done everything that God wanted me to do. And there was one of those moments where, oh, boy, I hope that spoke to someone because I'm in big trouble when I step down from here. (laughs) Ah, Interestingly, I had no idea of the time either. But as the worship band got up to lead afterwards, It seems that that was that hinge point in the conference when there was some rumbling amongst the participants that the conference had been a waste of time. They didn't even know why they were there and so on and so forth. And it seems that God used that moment to actually turn things around and in a very, very beautiful ministry opened up amongst many of the participants at that time. Now, I wonder whether that picture is also for somebody here this morning as well. You're waiting. You're waiting. But remember, waiting as a Christian is always characterised by hope. And hope is, yes, the rope that holds you between a promise and its fulfilment, But God himself is hope, and he himself holds on to you and is present with you in the waiting. As we were singing before, very, very first song, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, Born to set thy people free from our fears, And sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. That's our Jesus. That's your Messiah. That is the one who comes to save and he shall be called Emmanuel because he is with you in the waiting. He is your hope. We have one of those opportunities now to share the Lord's Supper, two very, very special symbols and they remind us how once again to experience the God who is present, the presence of God. When we feel so alone and, and perhaps even just a little bit forgotten, we can wonder, how do I experience God's presence once more? How do I experience his peace? How do I experience his joy and his love? How, how does that unfold Picture again, Jesus standing behind you with an umbrella. There you are in the rain and it's an umbrella of grace. Your redemption has been bought with his blood. And here are two symbols, the bread, his body broken for you, the wine, his blood shed for you. Two symbols that remind you, your redemption has been purchased. You are covered by his blood. Draw close to him once more. Come in under that umbrella of grace, that umbrella of blessing, and experience his presence afresh. Allow him to flood your life with hope and light once more and use these symbols as the reminders. There is no barrier, no barrier whatsoever on earth or in hell that can keep you from the precious blood of Jesus and his covering and redemption over you. Let's pray. And as we pray, perhaps this morning, in that place that we spoke of before, the heart of hearts, A special place. Perhaps you want to allow Jesus to go back there. And this Christmas, as we anticipate, yes, the second coming of Jesus, but perhaps his coming once more into our lives and into that part of us, that has been a little closed over and a little lacking in hope. Invite him into that place once more, your Saviour, your Lord, the Healer, the Redeemer, the one who sees, the one who loves, the one who cares. Dare to flick open the pages of your prayer journal. Let him speak into that. Just a simple prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Bring your hope. And we want to thank you again, Lord Jesus, that that is all made possible by your obedience to the cross. As you hung there, All the hopes of the world hung with you. As you rose from the grave, hope was raised in each and every one of us. I want to thank you this morning for being our ever-present help in times of trouble the one and the only one who truly brings hope. Thank you, Jesus. We receive it.